Welcome to the Life Church STL podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages and inspires you. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My prayer in this word this morning is that is that God really can do surgery on our hearts. And you'll see what I mean in just a moment. You know, there's a, he's still alive and singing, but a Christian recording artist, Stephen Curtis Chapman, many of you know that name. Stephen came to our church, did a concert a number of years ago. And him and his wife adopted a little girl from China as a little baby, was raising her cute little girl that they love with all their heart, and she was coloring at the kitchen table one day and then got up and went outside and began to play in the driveway, and their older son, who had just gotten his license, didn't see her in the driveway and backed out and ran over this little girl. She was critically injured. They went out, got her, rushed her to the hospital, Stephen Curtis Chapman, his wife, stayed with her for days while she was lingering between life and death, five years old. And finally, she went on to be with the Lord. And after that, brokenhearted, they, they returned home. And he said that we were so devastated. They actually ended up writing a book about this, but they were so completely devastated. He said, I felt like I was about to lose my mind. I couldn't think straight. And he said, they walked, he walked into the kitchen as soon as they got home and laying on the kitchen table was a piece of paper there with a flower drawn in crayon. That was the last thing that their daughter did before she went out to play. And they saw this flower there and he picks up this paper and when he picks it up, he sees there's something on the back. And on the back of this paper, in crayon, are the letters S-E-E-C. And he said the first thing he was stunned by was they had just been teaching her to write her letters, but she had never yet written a word herself. And now when they get home and he picks up this paper, he finds that the last thing she did before she died was she wrote the first word she's ever written. And it was the word see. And he said, immediately, God spoke to him. He said, I'm speaking to you. He said, the problem right now is that you're not seeing correctly. He said, you've got to see the way I see this situation. Listen to me now. He said, you're seeing this as the end. You're seeing this as there's no tomorrow. You're seeing this as it doesn't make sense. How could this happen? Where is God in this? He said, but you need to see that this is not the end. That I can even use things like this. See that she's with me now in perfect health and full enjoyment. See that I will use this. See that there's a purpose. See that God's going to have you to be fruitful 
specifically out of the fact that this happened. He said, the Lord spoke to me, said, yes, of course, you'll still grieve. Let grieve do its proper work. He said, but see. And he wrote a book after that, and the name of the book is See. It's a heartbreaking story, but that is the message I want to talk to you about today. Are you ready for this? The title of my message is See. See. Now, let me, let me put this all in this framework. I have seen miracles in, in my life. I mean, I've seen things, I mean, supernatural things. God does amazing things. I've seen people healed miraculously. I mean, where the doctors gave them no hope. Some of you have too. I've seen people delivered of things miraculously, all kind addictions and all kinds of things. I've seen miracles, and God wants us to believe for the impossible. God wants to come and bring healing to us and, and perform miracles. But, but, listen to this. There are many things in life that won't work out our way. Most of you found that out by now. And how you deal with the pain is what's going to define you in your life. C.S. Lewis said that we learn far more through pain than we do through pleasure. Are you all still with me today? So here's what I want to do. Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. A few months ago when I preached here, I basically dealt with just these two verses, verses 16 and 17. And it goes like this. The first statement says, therefore we do not, therefore we do not lose heart. So the subject of this, there we go. The subject of these two verses is Paul saying, I have found a way to where we don't lose heart. We don't get down. He says, we don't lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. So even all hell's breaking loose, he said, I found a way to not lose hope, not get discouraged, not get in fear. That's the subject. Then he goes on, and as I said, we preached about this. He goes on, and he says, uh, even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. I've learned to walk with God to where that all hell can be breaking loose on the outside, but you can maintain peace on the inside. The inward man is being renewed day by day. He says, for, which means because, for our light affliction. Now take note of this. It's interesting that if you look at that word, he doesn't use the word afflictions, plural. He says affliction, singular. Paul is not talking about one or two tough times he's been through. Paul is talking about the entire human existence. He's saying this whole existence is an existence of a journey through affliction, through hardship, through difficulty, through pain. Yes, there are great victories, but, it, but he says our light affliction, what he's saying there is one of the way, the keys to me maintaining victory in my inward man in the midst of pain is he says that I keep my affliction in its proper perspective. 
In other words, I look at it as light. Are you with me now? And some of you might say, well, Paul, I'm offended by that. You don't know what I've gone through. But you've got to remember, this is the guy who was stoned nearly to death. He was snake-bitten. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten with chains. And Paul calls all of that light. How does he call all of it light? He said, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us. Now, this statement, working for us, is what changes everything. When we put this in our mindset to where that we know that whatever we're going through in life, none of it's being wasted. God is using all of it. That God is working through it. Now, some of you, kind of, it's difficult for you to put that in your brain. But folks, that's what's going to get you through, uh, cause you to maintain victory in your, in your spirit when you're going through tough times. One of the things that causes us to become so disillusioned and brokenhearted is when we go through stuff, we feel like it's a waste. It's a loss. We feel like that, well, that's just been ruined, and there's no good that come out of that. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that God's using all of it. And I don't know about you, but I can get through pretty much about anything if I can just know that it's producing something, that God's using it. I love that. So he said, God is working. It's working for us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It brings us to where I want to go today. I ended there in my message, but he starts verse 18 this way. He says, while, now when you look at, I always tell you, pay attention to, to the words. The words are important. He said, while, which means all of that I just said to you happens while you're doing something. In other words, you just going through something you just experiencing great pain or loss is not going to produce anything because you just went through it. You can go through it and get bitter rather than better. But Paul says, all of that's working for you while you, watch this, while you do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Now, folks, that's amazing. How in the world do you look or do you not look at things that you can see? And how do you look at things that you can't see? Paul is telling us that is the key to being able to maintain peace and calmness and victory in your soul when you go through all kinds of hell. And here's the way to understand it. In the first part of this statement, or the first statement, while we do not look at the things which are seen, that statement is talking about the physical world, right? The visible world, everything that you can see. And Paul is saying, don't look at that. To look here means uh, a prolonged gaze as opposed to a glance. Paul is saying, listen, don't focus your attention on the seen world, the circumstances, the pain, the bad reports, all of those things. 
He's saying, don't gaze upon those things. He says, but look upon those things which cannot be seen. Now, listen to this. Paul is saying the key to your victory is being able to see what can't be seen with your eyes. So how do you see what you can't see with your eyes? What does that even mean? Well, folks, here, listen to this. To me, I think one of them, it's been it's something that's been huge for me, but I think it's one of the things that many people just fail to understand is that they spend so much time with their eyes taking in, and ears, taking in information from this world that they trust the information they get from this visible world more than they trust the information that they get from the unseen, from the unseen God, from His Word. Because we're inundated with so much visible information all the time. And you need, obviously, you need your eyes to tell you how to walk into this room and avoid stumbling over a chair. But you don't need your eyes to tell you if God is going to come through for you in this hour. You don't need your ears and your eyes to tell you if the Word of God is true. Or if you're going to get through this, or if this is going to be your undoing or not. You don't need your eyes to tell you that. You need to see the unseen. And folks, listen, I have pondered this so much, many different days. I've tried to peer into, the, you know, the unseen. You know, when I say that stuff, you know, people who live all their time just with their natural minds, their reasoning directing their life they think this is spooky you know like we're talking about some vague ethereal spirituality no not at all folks what i want you to see is this we've got to see the spiritual as as real or even more real than the visible we are spiritual beings first of all folks you're not a physical being you have a body but the real you that's going to live forever is a spiritual being. The real you is unseen. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. God's unseen. He's the unseen God. You serve an unseen God. See God in the midst of your trouble. The Word of God is unseen. It is. You say, well, I can see the words on the paper. No, that's the logos, the written word. Does anybody know what it's like to get in the word of God and prayerfully meditate on it and to see God until all of a sudden that word just comes alive to you, jumps off the page, and it explodes in your heart and faith drops in your heart and all of a sudden you see something you didn't see before. That's the unseen word. That's rhema. Everything about your life that's going to make an eternal difference depends upon you living in and seeing into the unseen world. Heaven is unseen. Heaven, you know, you think of this. I want you to think literally about this stuff. Heaven is not, you know, when we go to heaven, we're not going to be like, these big fat babies sitting on a cloud with a harp singing kumbaya. You know what I'm saying? For, for eternity after eternity. That's crazy stuff. 
heaven right now. It's in the unseen, but it's a real city. The Bible tells us. I mean, literally, it's got measurements. It's 1,500 miles square. It's 1,500 miles high. It's got a wall around the entire 6,000 miles that's made out of pure jasper. It's got 12 huge gates on it. Each gate is made out of one single pearl. Dude, that's quite an oyster. We say the streets are made of gold. No, they're pure gold. They're translucent gold. You can see through them. But the Bible tells us not only are the streets made of gold, the whole city is made of pure gold. But when we go there, we say, well, I'm going to heaven. Well, where are you going? I'm going to be up there all, my, all of eternity. No, you're not. The Bible says we're all going to that heavenly city. But after God settles everything on this earth and Satan and his demon hosts are cast in the lake of fire, the Bible says that city is going to be picked up and put down here and set down right on the top of the Mount of Olives. And the Bible, and we're not just going to live in that city either, but the Bible says that we're going to go out from that city and we're going to reign with Christ forever and ever and ever. We're going to work. We're going to play. We're going to relate to each other. We're going to eat. We're going to have a Y'all with me now? And so all of these things are in the unseen, but yet we spend so much time so deeply invested in what we can see and hear, that we lose sight of the fact that this whole visible thing is only very temporary and that we're made for eternity. So here we go. Are you all ready? So I thought about this. And then I, I, let me give you, the, let's do this. Let me give you one example in Scripture uh, about how this works. In 2 Kings chapter 6, the, uh, in 2 Kings 6, you have the old prophet Elisha and his servant. Now watch this picture. And the old prophet and his servant is understudy. They're in their tent asleep. And the servant wakes up early in the morning while the prophet's still asleep because he can't sleep. He's nervous because he and Elisha have already heard that the enemy have threatened them and that they're on their way. And so he's nervous about it. The servant gets up because I'm nervous. So he's got to go out and see with his eyes even though he knows God's already promised him that, them that he's going to fight for them, I've got to go out and see with my eyes to tell me how bad it is and whether God's really going to come through or not. And so the servant goes out and he looks around to see how bad it is. Oh, I know the promises of God, but I've got to look and see how bad it is. And he goes out there and he opens his eyes and he sees all around the the hillside, 360 degrees, he sees enemy armies in chariots, chariots surrounding him. And the dude freaks out. And he goes back in, and he grabs Elisha, and he shakes Elisha, get up, get up, worry with me. 
get up. I need you to come. Watch this. I love it. Here's the old prophet. Can you imagine experience and seeing God come through? Get up and see how bad it is. And so Elisha gets up all groggy-eyed, and he walks out there. And Elisha looks up, and he looks around. He sees all these enemy armies. And then he says this to his servant. Look in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16. So Elisha answered and said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Dude, drop the mic. <laughs> what? At this point, this young servant, inexperienced in these things, he thinks, man, we're really in trouble. Because not only are we surrounded by these armies, but the old prophet's lost his mind. And the young servant goes, one... Two, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, What are you talking about, Elisha? And the dude really freaks out. And Elisha, it says, prayed. And when Elisha, now he's going to pray for the young guy, and you would think, when he prays for the guy, you would think he might pray something like this, oh, God. God, please remove his anxiety. God, bring calmness, bring peace to his soul. God, strengthen his faith, give him more faith. No. You know what he prays? He prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. If, if he can just see, faith is not going to be a problem. If he can just see, Anxiety will go away if he can see. He's not going to freak out anymore. He's just got to see. I love that. And I can just imagine Elisha stretching and saying, ah, I think I'm going to go lay back down. <laughs> you see, this, this is the difference. You ever been in those situations where you've seen some dear old saint of God, of godly man or woman walk with God for years and then something bad's happening and everybody around them is freaking out losing it and this dear old saint of God just there just peaceful hallelujah smile on their face and the rest of them think that that person's crazy for not freaking out but they don't understand the difference is this person is seeing what they don't see so he said, Lord, open his eyes and he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This thing to me, I meditated on this and I thought, folks, he didn't just, so when he said open his eyes and see, the guy didn't just see God's promises are true. He didn't just see God's faith. Oh, yes, God's faithful. When he opened his eyes, he saw real, tangible, detailed things that are happening in the world of the Spirit. 
that are just as elaborate and extravagant detailed as the things he could see with his natural eyes. Look, in Daniel 10, Daniel had the same experience. Daniel is praying for three weeks for God to touch the nation. And after three weeks, nothing has changed at all. And I can imagine Daniel's just like us. You think, God, I've been interceding and praying all this time, and nothing's changing. And all of a sudden, God sends an angel to tell him, say, dude, you don't even know. You think nothing's happening. You need your eyes open. And all of a sudden, Daniel's eyes were open, and the angel tells him, Daniel, while you've been fighting in prayer and it seems like nothing's happening, let me tell you what's been going on in the unseen world. He said, God sent me to come and fight against the prince of Persia, uh, an evil ruling spirit. And he said, I've been fighting. I mean, dude, that's not metaphorical. It's not just you know, some kind of weird fantasy. It really happened. This, this archangel's been fighting against a ruling spirit that's ruling over a nation. And he said, I was fighting, but then God wanted me to bring a word to you to encourage you. So he sent now Michael. And now Michael, the archangel's coming. He took my place. He's fighting the prince of Persia. He said, I've come. I'm going back now, and I'm going to fight. But now also there's coming to join the prince of Greece, another evil ruling spirit. I mean, dude, I mean, this thing's so detailed. And all of a sudden, Daniel's faith was changed. It was re released because he saw what was going on. Folks, this, you see what I'm trying to give you? You see, that while we're praying our little feeble prayers, God, I want you to do this. God, come. God, intervene. And then we get up and we wonder if that day our prayers made any difference. Guys, you have no idea what's going on. There is war going on in the heavens. I mean, I've thought about it that time. I thought, you know, so God comes up with this plan, right? Here's how I'm going to do things in the earth. He said, I'm going to tell these little Christians, little boys and girls here. He said, I'm going to tell them, here's the plan. He said, I am going to send an army, spiritual, angelic army, to fight against demonic army. And they're... You know, the demonic that's holding down things, that's holding down empires and governments and cities and families and neighborhoods. And he says, that, he said, I'm going to send an angelic army and there's going to be this war going on. And we're going to win the war. He said, but here's the way we're going to do it. Here's your part. Little Rick, here's your part. You get in the morning, you get down on your knees and you get before me in prayer and you crank God, do it. In Jesus' name, God, do it. Please, I ask you, we need it. And dude, that blows my mind. That's my part? And God uses that. You don't have, you know, sometimes I, I hear some of these, uh, you know, these groups, you know, that, you know, we're spiritual warfare groups, we're these prayer, and they write books about it, and they've got all these intricate details and you got to do it this way and you got to you know call this out and say that and do that i mean come on give me a break there's some old country bumpkin out there in a country church out in some cornfield and he's crying out lords we need you lords 
Come and turn over the hay barn of the devil, lords. And all hell is being destroyed. That's it. You know, because it's interesting, you know, more than anything else, intercession, when you're praying, intercession is you're praying in behalf of someone, a nation, a family, whatever it may be, or your own life. And when you're doing that, the Bible likens it unto uh, labor in birth. Paul says, he says, I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. He's talking about prayer. And I thought of that, it's just much like childbirth. And I know a lot, of, a lot about childbirth. <laughs> I've had four kids, right? And I just thought about this. A woman goes in, you know, and here's this miracle above all miracles. I mean, what goes on inside? It's like the whole, it blows my mind, the woman's body. I mean, it's like taking the car factory and changing it over, making it a bomb factory. You know, it's like, you know, the hip boom come out and the things go boom and then boom. It's like a, it's it's just crazy stuff. No, I mean seriously. Are you with me now? All this stuff's going on, you know. And then the the baby's growing in these intricate ways, and then there's this sack holding, and then it gets fed this way, and even the waist comes out this way, and then the childbirth, this baby comes, and and things spread, and the baby comes, and now it comes out, and there's and all of a sudden the baby's alive and crying, and all that. It's, it's just. And when the woman goes in to the hospital to have that baby. She doesn't know all that. She can't explain to you all the details of how that works. God says, but I'm going to give you a part. Here's your part. Push. I think, what? I'm going to do this amazing miracle that you can't ever understand. But God always gives us a part. Here's your part, baby. Push. Carry it and push. That is intercession. Carry it and push. Ah. So we can't, um, we're not to delve into all the understanding of that in the spirit. Well, now we got to understand all that. No. Once Daniel understood and saw what was going on, he didn't change the way he prayed. He just kept clinging to that promise. But we need to see that there's far more going on in the spirit world. When we're going through hell and we think God isn't showing up, God is doing far more than what you think he is. And I'll tell you something. We See here with Elijah... The reason Elisha could so easily see what the young man couldn't is because Elisha had been living this life his whole life. He'd been raised under the great Elijah. From a young man, he had seen God show up. And now, after Elisha took the mantle, he'd been seeing God use him time after time. And folks, I've learned something. Once you've lived long enough and walked with God long enough where you get a few spiritual notches in your belt, you've seen God, you've gone through hell and seen God show up. 
Or you've gone through hell and it didn't even work out the way you wanted, but later you saw God use it. And after a while you come to the place through experience you can see. Hallelujah. You know, years ago, Josh, my son Josh, I hope he's not watching this today. He's in Hawaii, so they're not watching this. Years ago, they, Josh and Tori had their first baby, Miles. Miles was a young little kid, and they were over our house one night. And Miles, well, I don't know what happened, but he threw a tantrum. And he goes down on the floor, you know, like kids do, you know, and, and he's crying so loud. Ah! You think a kid can't cry that loud? And he does it until he passes out, and his eyes roll back in his head. And Josh jumps down there grabs him, and he's crying, no, Miles, no, no, come back, Miles, come back. He's freaking out. And I'm standing there a few feet away, and I couldn't help it, I just start chuckling. <laughs> I'm just chuckling. And Josh heard me, turns around, looks at me, and he had fire in his eyes. He was so mad. But then in just a few seconds, all of a sudden, boom, Miles pops out of it, takes a deep breath, eyes roll back down his head. He gets up and he's fine. And Josh came over to me and he said, Dad, how did you know? How did you know that was going to turn out the way it did? I said, son, when you were a little guy about Miles' age, you cried, fell out on the floor, Passed out, eyes rolled back in the head. The first time it happened, I freaked out too. But then it happened again and then again. And about the fourth time, dude, I thought, I've seen this devil before. I know how it turns out. And folks, that's the way it is. You, you walk with God and you see God show up, either through delivering you from it or delivering you through it. It's like you see God show up keeping you. And then it's much easier to see. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? I like that. All right. Anyway, let's go back just quickly here to Philippians. I'm sorry, not Philippians. 2 Corinthians 4.18. And let's read further. Look at this. He says, all this stuff is working for you. He says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for, now remember I say for means because, right? So he's saying, that's what you do. Don't invest your attention in, don't de depend upon the circumstances or all that stuff to tell you what the outcome is going to be, but look at the things which are not seen because, and here's his whole reasoning for doing that. Think of this. He says, because the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I mean, do you all get that? that Paul, of all things Paul could say, that's his reasoning? He's saying, this is the reason that when all hell breaks loose or you experience tremendous loss or pain, either physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain, financial pain. And when you're going through that stuff, 
You, you cling to God in faith. You trust Him. You have this life of walking with God, saying, God, I still trust you, even though it makes, doesn't make sense. He says, the reason you do that is because it's temporal. He said, it's not going to last. You're going to get through it. It's never the end. God's got another plan for your life, and it's all going to work out. You know what the interesting thing is? He said, for the things which are seen are temporary, but he said, the things which are not seen are eternal. Notice he didn't say, you know, come on, walk by faith, because the things which are seen, they're going to last a short while, but the things which are not seen, they're going to come around in a year or two or down the road a little bit in your life. He didn't say that. He said, no, keep walking in faith, because the things which are seen, they're temporary. The things which are not seen, the things that now are going to really reward you and work out, he said, they're in eternity. Did you get that? Folks, to me, I don't know about you, but one of the things that really has helped me once my heart shifted years ago and I began to understand that I'm not going to get my reward here. God will do things for me. I'll get blessed. God, I mean, will come through in different ways. But God doesn't pay on Friday. We always want things to be reconciled here. And folks, can I encourage you with this? One of the things that will help you, I think, tremendously in your life with God and your life in general is if you finally come to grips with the fact that I'm not looking for life to be fair. I'm not looking for everything to be reconciled here. This all happened to me, so now two years down the road, it all has to be reconciled, and it all has to make sense, or I'm going to start saying, God, why didn't you show up? No, I've come to grips with the fact that when I go through hell, God is working for me things eternal. It says there in, in verse 17, it says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I want to ask you a question. Are you okay with getting most of your reward in heaven and not here on earth? Now, I could preach another message about how God, you know, rewards you in different ways here on earth. But I want to tell you something, that stuff won't even float with you, to be honest with you, and with God, until you first set your, the rut of your heart with this, and that is that I am not living for my best life here in this physical body. Paul goes on in the next verse, which is chapter 5, verse 1, he says, for our earthly, he said, if our earthly tent means this body is destroyed, we have a building not made with hands. God made this building, and we're going to get a new body. You know what Paul's saying there? Paul is saying, dude, here's where I'm at. If this thing that's hitting my body kills me, big deal. I'm going to shed this physical body, and I'm going to get a brand new body that I'm living for eternity. Now, that's a pretty big statement there. 
But folks, you've got to work through that. You've got to come to the point where you're not, you know, Paul also says, don't be entangled in this world, in the affairs of this life, that you may please him who enlisted you as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Entanglement is a lot of the problem many times. We get so invested. I mean, we're supposed to occupy here. We're supposed to work and I mean, build our family and all these things. But emotionally and spiritually, we have to be careful that we don't become so attached to the point to where our joy and our peace comes from how we succeed here in this life. That we realize that this life is like a vapor. That we're going to shed these physical bodies and we're going to step over into heaven. And folks, heaven, oh, heaven is more beautiful than you could ever imagine. It always drives me crazy when I, I hear people say, well, I've had this happen, believe it or not, come, come to me, you know, I, I, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but I, don't, I just want Jesus to wait until I get married. I just want to get married. I mean, you know what I want to say, dude, don't you realize that Jesus is going to be a whole lot better for you than that belly-scratching, burping guy that you're going to marry? We don't understand heaven. Amen? By the way, by the way, let me say this. You know, I've been asked this question before. You know, there's always questions like this. You know, well, when we go to heaven, I'm just concerned. Why? Because, you know, well, I'll still be married in heaven to my husband or my wife I had here. I just want to know I'm not going to be happy unless I'm still married to them. And I say, you just don't understand heaven. And really more than that, you just don't understand Jesus. Folks, when you look in those pure eyes of fire, that you that, that the Bible says you can't even look upon right now or it would kill you. When you see Jesus face to face, trust me, you're not going to worry about that dude you were married to. Now here's what I tell people. God love, God is interested in what we love. The relationships we have on earth, I believe we'll have in heaven. I mean, there's good, I think, evidence of that in Scripture. You know, when Elias and Moses came back, you know, at the transfiguration of Jesus, they were recognized as who they were. So I don't know what that relationship's going to be like with the former husbands and wives, but all I know, whatever it is, it's going to be a billion times better than what you had in this earth. Amen? Amen? I want you to do this with me. I'm wrapping this up. I'm gonna st I want you to stand with me. I want you to stand with me, and I'm going to end this way. You know, there was a guy in the uh, 1800s who was named Horatio Spafford. Now, listen to this. He was a young, wealthy lawyer, owned a lot of real estate in Chicago, and in 1870, disaster struck, and his four-year-old son died of a scarlet fever. He was brokenhearted, but that's not all. The next year, in 1871, massive fire, some of you know of history, 
hit Chicago, and most of his real estate holdings were destroyed. Now his livelihood is his. Two years after that, he's still trying to get through all this. He decided he's actually had five kids, so he's still got four remaining children. So he decides it's time, he says, that he and his family go on a vacation to England. But he's got to stay back for a little bit because he's got to take care of business. And he sends his family on to England, wife and four kids, and they get on a ship crossing the Atlantic. They get in the middle of the Atlantic. And all of a sudden, another ship hits him. And the ship sinks. And all four of his remaining children die. The wife is spared by clinging to a piece of wood. And they transport her on to England, and she's in a hospital in England. And Horatio gets on the next ship, and he heads out across the Atlantic. He gets out in the middle, and the captain stops the ship, comes and gets Horatio. The both of them are standing looking over the bow. And the captain says, this is the place where the ship went down. Horatio's standing there with tears in his eyes. He's grieving. And then he stops and he goes back to his cabin. And he writes the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And I want to do this this way. Just really kind of lean into this as I do this. I'm going to kind of sing, talk, talk, sing through this because I want you to get not just the words but the feeling. And the reason I'm doing this is because this song, think about this. How many of y'all know that sometimes there's nothing better to get the truth to you than a song? It's spoon-feeding the gospel to you. And this song summarizes all the things I've said to you today. It goes like this. Watch this. The words are going to be up there. It goes, when Pete, you know, just call. I work alone. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, so. Hang on, I'll need you in a minute. Listen to this. It goes like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, but when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Can everybody singing with me? It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Look at verse 3. Look at this. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, 
Praise the Lord, oh my soul. It is well. Sing it, church. With my soul. It is well. It is well. And I love he takes these last two verses. And notice, notice in my message where Paul ends up and notice where the song ends up. The same place. He says, verse 4, watch this. But Lord, tis for the... Can you, can you follow me on that? You can? <laughs> Just follow me. I feel like when he drops out, I lose the mood. You know what I'm saying? Y'all are feeling real good, and then all of a sudden I drop. Let's try it. All right. I underestimated you, Wimmy. Look at this. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. <laughs> o trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. Wait, let's do the fifth verse. Look at this. You ready? Sing it with me if you can keep my pace here. You ready? Here we go. And Lord, haste the day when my face shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trumps shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Sing it. It is. Alto, sing the after party. Well, with my soul. It is well. Now, I want you to sing it just for yourself. What have you been through? What has your journey been like? All those tough moments, but you're still here. You're not just still here. You're in church on Sunday morning worshiping. Something, something in you said, I still trust in God. I want you to take all of that bundle together, and in this course, I want you to give your own worship, your own declaration of it as well. Are you all ready? And all the altos, if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. But all the altos and baritones, sing the after part. You ready? Here we go. Ready? Come on, sing it to Jesus. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well. One more time. With my soul, just one more time, come on. Oh, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my Thanks for listening today. We pray this message encourages you. If you have any questions or you'd like to learn more about us as a church, you can always visit us online by going to lifechurchstl.com.